if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 3. <clears throat> if you don't, the scripture is printed in the bulletin, uh, also with a place to take notes on pages 6 and 7. We're looking at Acts chapter 3, verses 11 to 26 today. Give ear, this is God's word. While he clung to Peter and John, <clears throat> that's the lame man who had just been healed, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke, by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is God's word. So we've been in this series looking at the influence of the church and asking the question, how is it that the church influences the city? And we saw first that the church influences the city by being a generous family, by caring for itself. Then we saw second that the church influences the city by doing service. We saw that last week as Peter and John healed a man who was lame from birth. Today we're going to see that the church influences the city by knowing by knowing Jesus, and by sharing their knowledge of the gospel. Okay, and so as Peter shares the gospel in our text with this crowd, he shows us both what to share and also how to share it. And we're going to see that in three points today, if you want to take notes. We're going to see first, not us, but Jesus. Second, not your fault, but your responsibility. And then third, not your way, but God's. So first, not us, but Jesus. This is verses 11 to 16. 
really, this is a note uh, first on when to share. You know, Peter had just healed this man who was lame from birth. We saw that last week in verses 1 to 10. The people saw it, verse 11, and they were utterly astounded. And so Peter, seeing their astonishment, recognizes, hey, this is an opportunity for me to share. It's an open door to share the good news about Jesus. And so what he says is, you know, I mean, we could sum it up. He basically says, look, it wasn't us. It wasn't me. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes all this happen. And so just from the get-go, we need to be looking for opportunities, just like Peter did. There are opportunities that come to us all the time. Often, those opportunities are times when people are moved. You know, as we can sense that they're astonished. You know, maybe, you know, obviously we're not doing miracles necessarily of healing, although when God chooses to do that, that's an opportunity. But there are often times, it seems like opportunities present themselves when we show real love to other people. You know, when we care about other people. I mean, the society that we live in, oftentimes just being a friendly neighbor can make people wonder, what's up with you? You know, why do you say hello to me? Why do you remember my name? Or why do you make an effort to remember my name? Um, these are opportunities that come for us. When we go out of our way to love and serve people, <clears throat> that's often what produces this sort of, I mean, in a small way, this kind of astonishment, which gives us an open door. When people wonder, what is this? Like, why are you doing this? That's a chance for us. Um, that's what happened to Peter here. People are moved when we serve them. You know, and I think you know this, if you participate in a community service project, if you are doing mercy ministry in some way, oftentimes you get an opportunity to, where people say, why are you doing this? What are you here for? And at that point, you can say some version of, you know, look, it's not me, it's Jesus. That I'm here because Jesus is working in my life. This happened to me this week, actually. I was sitting at Petco Park. Um, you know, that there's that playground right there. I was sitting there, I was working on my sermon, and uh, a lady had come and sat down near me, and I noticed there's people sitting on the grass, and the sprinklers came on. And so I had my back to the grass, so the sprinklers were on, and I thought, oh, I wonder if anybody's getting wet. You know, so I turned around and looked, and I was looking at these people, and they were all far away from the sprinklers, the lady who had sat down said, oh, oh, I'm sorry, is my smoke bothering you? You know, she lit up a cigarette and was smoking. And I said, oh, no, 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 not a problem at all. Um, I was just wanting to know if anybody got hit with the sprinklers when the sprinklers turned on. I you know, kind of laughed, and, uh, and she said, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't even think about it when I, when I lit up. And I said, hey, no, no, no problem. And then I just chose to show her love. I said, you know, it's got to be hard enough for you. You know, you got kicked out of, you know, buildings. You're kicked out of offices. You're kicked out of restaurants. You've got to find some place. And so please, you know, continue. Don't worry about it. You know, it doesn't bother me at all. And then she said, oh, wow, all right, well, thanks. I appreciate it. And then began to start telling me about her and what she said. Oh, you know, I walk here in the mornings and, you know, I've been doing this. I've been exercising, all this kind of stuff. And it was neat because we started this conversation. And before she left, we kind of, we stopped. I, I was working. When she got up to leave, she came over to me, introduced herself, gave me her contact information and, was, and told me about a book that she wanted my opinion about. And so I'm excited because all I did was show love to her. All I did was care about her. And she wanted to engage in more of a friendship, more of a relationship, more of a conversation. That's what happens. That's what happens. When we reach out, when we love people around us, when we are aware and looking to meet needs, my guess is that she was moved by kindness and it prompted her to want to 
want to talk more. So we'll see. You know, I've been praying, and we'll see what God does in that relationship. But that's basically what Peter, what happened with Peter. He sees that they're moved and says, look, it's not me, it's Jesus. And what does he say? He says, look, it's not our own power. Look at verse 12. I mean, Peter wants to make it really, really clear here. Why do you, look at, why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? He said, look, it's not about me. It's not about me being good. It's, I didn't do this. This didn't happen because of anything that I did. It's because of Jesus. Verse 14, he is holy and righteous, not me. He is the one that God has raised from the dead. God glorified Jesus, verse 13. He blessed Jesus with heaven. And now Jesus is the one who is sharing those blessings. God raised Jesus from the dead, and Jesus is now raising this man to walk. Okay, remember Dick last week talked about how the same word, raising the lame man, is used to, you know, for Jesus being raised from the dead. And then Peter says, verse 16, <clears throat> he's saying, look, it's his name, and he makes it clear, it's by faith in his name. Okay, the name of Jesus isn't a magical word. It's not this abracadabra magic trick that if you say the name of Jesus, all of a sudden there's power. The name of Jesus represents believing in Jesus. Okay, Peter is saying it's because we have had faith in Jesus, because we trust Jesus that Jesus has healed this man. Okay, and so what this means is that Jesus, having been raised from the dead, having been glorified, who is in heaven, he is pouring out blessings, and he's doing that through those who trust in him. Okay, and so when we believe in him, he blesses us, but then works through us to bless others. That's how it works. He has handed the keys of the kingdom to the apostles, and then through his word, he hands those blessings to us. And if you're trusting in him, Jesus will minister to others through you. That's what he does. And so when we trust in him, and what's interesting here is that it's not the strength of our faith as much as it's the strength of the one that we have faith in that counts. Okay, Jesus says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. You can do the impossible. Because the key is always not, if it was about the size of our faith, then verse 12, Peter wouldn't have said verse 12, because then it would be about our piety, right? But Peter says it's not about our piety, but it's about Jesus. Our faith connects us to him, and he is the source of the blessings. And so as we trust him, he will use us to love and to bless others. Now, Jesus will probably not heal others through you. He may, as you pray. He may choose to do that, but more often, he will care for others through you. Okay, he'll care for others. And often, I think, your non-healing care, in one sense, shows more power from Jesus than actual healing. Okay, think about that for a second. I think, so let's take this lame man, right? This man was born lame, sitting there. Peter comes, speaks words to him, and he's raised up. Okay, incredible power that is demonstrated. Okay, but it's once, it was a one-time act of power. It's a one-time demonstration of the power of God to heal this man. Let's step back for a second. Just think about, in our own church, how much power does it take from God to care for 
someone like David Gladden. Right? Think about how many people are involved in caring for his needs. Think about how much effort it takes to love him and to love him well. Right? Think about that. I think it takes even more power for God to care for, you know, when the church cares for its own in a non-extraordinary way, in an ordinary way. Showing ordinary care is often a greater demonstration of the power of God than even miraculous healings. That gives me comfort. Like, that gets me excited, actually, because that means that when you care for others, you are doing something that's similar to what the apostles did. You're showing that it's Jesus at work in you. You're showing, look, it's not me. It's the love of Jesus in me. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm serving. That's why I'm caring for you. What Diana just said about the community groups, that goes on all the time. There are so many needs that never, ever go outside of the community groups because they're met there, because people are caring for each other. Jesus will use you to care for other people as you experience his love and you share that love with others. And that's exciting. And when that happens, you can say, look, again, it's not me. It's not my piety. It's not my power. It's the power of Jesus in me. Peter's saying, that's what you've seen. What you've seen here is the power of Jesus through someone who trusts in him. That's what you want to share with others when you have opportunity. So Peter starts off by saying, look, it's not us, but Jesus. Our second point, Peter says, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. Okay, this is verses 17 and 18. It's not your fault, but your responsibility. What Peter says in these two verses is pretty striking. You know, it's not the kind of thing that we're normally used to saying. But basically he says, I get it. You you didn't know what you were doing. Right? That's what he says. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. I mean, here he's echoing even the words of Jesus. In Luke 24, 34, where Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Peter's making excuses for him. It's interesting. He's giving them grace. He's, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this. <clears throat> but even as he does that, even as he makes this excuse for them and says, look, you did this in ignorance. You didn't know what you were doing. He is clear about what they did. Okay? We need to put these things together. Verse 13, Peter says, God chose him, but you denied him. Even Pilate wanted to let him go because he was innocent. And yet you rejected him. Verse 14, he says, you denied him and asked for a murderer instead. Verse 15, you killed the author of life. So Peter is clear about their sin against Jesus. Okay, even though he's offering them, you know, he's saying, look, you didn't know what you were doing. He is clear about what they did, but he's gracious to them. And he's saying, in a sense, your ignorance may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. Okay, ignorance doesn't erase guilt. But it does affect how we talk to people about it. What do we learn from Peter here in verse 17 and 18? Well, first, I think we all need to be ready to tell each other the truth, even when the truth is going to hurt. Okay, we live in a society where delivering the bad news, we just, we avoid it. 
We avoid it at all costs. We will do anything not to have to approach somebody and confront them about something that they're doing that's wrong. Peter's teaching us here that that's not the way of Jesus. That's not consistent with being gracious. There are times, you have to realize this, there's times when the most loving thing that you can tell someone is exactly what they don't want to hear. Okay, you just need to own that. You need to understand that, and you need to make sure that that's part of what you wear as you live. There are times when the most loving thing to say to someone is the thing they don't want to hear. And we know this. We just sometimes don't have the courage, I think, to act out. If someone's in a destructive relationship, is it loving to let them destroy themselves and those they love? You know, if someone is making decisions or is already in, you know, that, that lead them into an addictive lifestyle, that leads them into drugs, that leads them into any sort of addiction, is it loving not to say anything? Is it loving not to bring it up? I mean, the key, though, is how you bring it up, right? I mean, that's the issue. And I think for some of us, it's, we, we really want to but don't know how, right? And Scripture teaches us how to do it. Peter's an example. Galatians 6.1 is a good verse that teaches us how to do this. Um, it says this, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then it says this, Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So again, we want to, when we confront, we want to go with humility and we need to be careful. We need to be aware that we may also fall into this. You know, the sort of, we need to be careful as we try to get the speck out of our brother or sister's eye that we don't have a log in our own. And I think Peter really is a great example of this. I don't know if you caught this in Peter's, when he confronted them with the truth, verses 13 and 14, he says it twice. He says, you denied him. Strike anybody as odd? Peter says, you denied him. It seems to me that the only difference between Peter's confrontation here and his own life is that he confronts them with their denial twice but he denied Jesus three times himself. You remember that? Remember in the Gospels when the chips were down and people began to ask you know, Peter if he was a member of Jesus' followers and Peter denied it three times. And yet here he is confronting them saying, you denied him, you denied him, you denied him. <clears throat> I mean, coming from Peter, this is someone who has three logs in his eyes, you know, <laughs> as he's confronting them with the, you know, with the sin that they've committed. My sense here, you know, and, and you got to be careful, but my sense of verses 13 and 14, it's possible that the way, you know, oftentimes any sort of confrontative language, we might think that Peter is standing up and yelling at these folks and being harsh and angry with them. I don't know. I think the fact that he uses denial here, maybe what Peter said sounded something more like this. Look, you denied him. And I know how that feels because I did it too. Look, you did it in ignorance. I did it to save my own skin. To me, given what we see the Spirit of God doing in the life of Peter, 
how Peter has been radically transformed and changed, my guess is that when Peter confronted them, he didn't do it harshly. But he brought to bear their sin in a way, he actually brought up the exact sins that he committed himself in his confrontation, maybe to make sure that they could know. I mean, in a sense, the big difference, I mean, it's this attitude really that's the difference between a hypocrite and an honest person who's been there. You know, Peter, again, I think is perfect. In a sense, you could say, Peter, where do you get the gall to make this kind of accusation? How can you do this, Peter, after what you did? Peter says, yeah, you're right. I did it. And that's why I'm bringing it up. Because I know how it made me feel. I know the downward spiral that became my life because of that. And I also know the restoring, the restoring grace of God that came afterwards. And that's what I want you to experience. And so when we bring it up, we need to make sure that we do it with a spirit of humility, recognizing that we have probably in some way committed the same sin in our own lives so we can show compassion. Bono from U2 said this, my heroes are the ones who survived doing it wrong, who made mistakes but recovered from them. There's just something so much more fetching about that, someone who's experienced God's grace and forgiveness rather than someone who's never, ever been affected or tempted the way we are, right? And so we can present ourselves in that way when we confront correctly. Even Mel Gibson with the movie The Passion of the Christ, I don't know how many of you know this, but in the scene where the the hammer was taken to drive the nail into the hand of Jesus, the hand holding the hammer was Mel Gibson's. So you obviously never saw his face, you know, but... He made sure, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's gone on with him since then, but that, that act, I thought, really captures the spirit well, that when you're going to confront someone with their sin, that you make sure that you are up front and say, look, I don't stand before you as someone that's more godly or more pious or more powerful than you. I'm standing before you as someone who is simply concerned and wants to show love and has received the same grace that I'm offering, that I'm offering to you. I mean, that's the attitude. That's how we need to confront each other. You want to try to find ways in your life that you can understand, that you can tap into that will give you compassion for the other person. And if you've never committed the sin that you're confronting, that doesn't mean you don't confront. Um, but maybe you need to do a little bit of work to take time to imagine what it would have been like, what it, like why somebody would go ahead and do those kinds of things so that you can go with understanding. So Peter goes to them in humility. He also, again, he gives them the benefit of the doubt. Verse 17, he just says, I mean, this, this is crazy to me because I, I would never say this if it wasn't in the text of Scripture. He says, yeah, you acted in ignorance. You didn't know what you were doing. I'm the opposite. I tend to treat people, and I do this. <laughs> this week has been really good for me because God has been weeding more and more of this out of my own heart. This week, God has done some pretty neat things in my heart because I tend to treat other people as though they are, try, they are intentionally trying to do the evil that it appears that is motivating their actions. That wasn't really helpful at all, was it? That was clear as mud. 
when my kids do things that are wrong, I think that they are trying to be evil. You know, I think that's what's motivating them. I've done this to my wife. I've done this to Lainey where you know, there are times where she'll do things and I know what I would have thought if I had done that and I know what I would have been thinking and the evil in my own heart that would have motivated me to do what she did. And I've, you know, I've confronted her and, 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 and gotten angry with her in, in really unrighteous ways. And she, <laughs> it's, I, mean, I, had no, I mean, I was so far away from where she was. She's like, what are you talking about? That's not why I did this. That wasn't, what, what, that wasn't in me. I'm thinking, well, it would have been in me, so it must have been in you. You know, we fight and argue about that, right? And, and it took me years to realize, you know, she's wired differently than me. It took me years to get to that place. You know, and this, if you're like me, this is in us to do this. We don't want to give people grace. We don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt. We want to assume the worst about people. And Peter he confronted me this week. He confronts us. It's okay. It's biblical to tell somebody, you know, I don't think you meant to do this, but here's what you did. It has a radical impact on how you confront people. Now, it could be that they did mean to do it. And if you, in the process of coming alongside and talking to them about it, you may find that that's what motivated them and you can deal with that. But we've got to be careful you don't want to lead with that. The other thing that Peter does, and this is verse 18, is that he shows these folks that God is going to meet them exactly where they are. In verse 18, he says, But, so you did this in ignorance as also did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. What's he saying there? What Peter is saying He's showing that God is, God has used even their sin to bring about his promises. Okay, God is saying, look, Peter is saying, you did this, you did this, you did this. You didn't mean to do it. You didn't know what you were doing. And let me tell you something else. God used even the evil that you did, even this sin that you committed against his own son. God even used that to bring about his promises. That's just exciting by itself, that God would do that, right? That God could take evil, could take even the things that we do and work good out of it. God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's a great promise. But it's even more than that. What Peter is saying is, Peter, in a sense, he is saying that God is coming to you now exactly where you are and showing you that there's a pathway that leads back to him. Okay, Oftentimes, people get the message from Christianity that, you know, if you want to be a Christian, you need to clean your life up, and then God will receive you, right? And so as soon as you get your issues dealt with, as soon as you're free from addiction, as soon as you stop your sinning, as soon as you, then you can come. What Peter's saying here is that God can use you exactly where you are. And God will meet you exactly where you are. You don't have to change anything about you before you come to Jesus. Okay, that's part of the gospel. And what Peter is saying here is that God can use, no matter what the sin is, right, no matter what you have done in your life, I'm going to venture to guess that it wasn't as bad as crucifying the Son of God. 
I mean, in a sense, what you did led to his crucifixion also. So we all, you know, we're all standing there with Mel Gibson with a hammer in our hand. But God can take you no matter where you are, and he can work, he can work in your life and lead you back to him. feel like I'm not really hitting this here, that Peter has, has, has stood before these folks and he has joined them and said, God is right here in front of you and is willing to lead you back. He's taken even the worst thing that you've done and he has worked it out for his good. And so you can be freed from this. God will meet you right here and he will take you with him in a relationship. And that's the message. I have seen in my own life every single sin that I've committed prior to becoming a Christian and even since I've become a Christian, God has used that, even my sin, in a way that has made me see that he can fix anything and he can use anything to bring his blessings to the world. Um, I mean, even, so just as one example, everything that you've struggled with up to this point, whether you're a Christian or not, everything that you're struggling with now, if for no other, one of the things that God absolutely does is he will, boy, this is, I don't know why this is so confusing or difficult to explain. Um, God wants people that struggle with what you struggle with in his family so that other people who are struggling with it can know that they can be part of his family and struggle with it too. So in the spirit of Peter, I want to talk. If you're not a Christian here today, you've been living your life apart from God. You've been doing things that don't reflect what he wants for you. Um, You've been living, you know, maybe you didn't, obviously you didn't, give up Jesus to be crucified, but you've lived in a way where it didn't matter if Jesus lived or died or ever existed. Living apart from God, apart from a relationship with him, is sin. And God wants you to know that. Now, I can, I can tell you that I live a major part of my own life apart from God, and God can meet you where you are and invite you back. I mean, we're going to see that here in a minute. Christians, you have areas of your life where you are living apart from God. There are areas of your life where God's not allowed and and neither is anybody else. That's sin. That's sin. And God wants you back. Now, we're all here in church. Sometimes we actually come to church in order to try to cover up you know, the sin that we have. We think by showing up here, by doing good religious deeds, that somehow we'll make up for it. We'll, we'll sort of tip the scales in our favor. And if you're coming to church because you're trying to earn favor with God, that's also sin. Okay? Coming to Jesus doesn't mean now you try to do more good than bad. Coming to Jesus means you admit your sin, you confess it, and you come back to God. That's, that's our third point. That's our third point. What do we do when we own our responsibility and see that Jesus is God's answer for healing? Our third point is not your way, but God's. Not your way, but God's. Peter offers the way forward. 
Verse 19, repent therefore and turn again. He's saying, come back and God will restore your hearts and lives just like he restored the lame man's legs. That's how God works. Repenting means to come back to God. That means you confess your sins and you believe in Jesus. This is the only way to deal with sin and guilt. Okay? So many people carry loads and loads of guilt. Right? They live with it. It's a burden that is on their back. And the world doesn't really help. The world can only can judge you for being rotten for what you've done, or it can try to overlook what you've done. Oh, it's not a big deal, right? No worries. Don't worry about it. You're a good person, or look at this other area of your life, right? The world really doesn't have a solution for this because it can't take away what we did. It can't take away what you did. And so we drug our guilt. We ignore our guilt. We try to cover it up. And when we don't admit it, there's all kinds of things that happen to us. You know, we get defensive. You know, there's part, our character actually begins to be shaped in, in bad ways. We get defensive. We become unapproachable. We become self-justifying. And these things lead to then what ends up you know, being officially you know, psychoses. Um, and so, I mean, it's counterintuitive, but it's true. The only way to deal with our guilt is to confess it. It's to admit it. And to own it. And the reason that confessing works is because confessing brings forgiveness. Confession brings forgiveness. Forgiveness means I'm not going to make you pay for what you did. Okay, that's what it means to be forgiven. It means God is not going to make you pay for what you did. That's what Peter says. Right? It says, verse 19, Repent and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. There was a director of a large mental institution who said this once. He said, I could send half my patients home tomorrow if only they could find forgiveness. Now, the only one who can offer forgiveness is the one that was sinned against. Right? That makes sense. And the good news is that God knows our sin, he's aware of it, and is willing to forgive it because of Jesus. Our sins will be blotted out, Peter says. Our sins are like stains. They're like stains. You know, it's it's one thing if you're eating a muffin and the crumbs get on your clothes, you can brush them off, right? If you're drinking wine or grape juice or whatever, you know, you can't get that out by brushing it off. The stain is deep. I mean, we know this, right? This is why we have washing machines and dry cleaners. Okay, there are things that we cannot get rid of on our own. And what Peter is saying here is that when we confess, God washes our sins away. And he does this because of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that gets the stains off our soul. I mean, that's what it is. When God says, I won't make you pay, He can only do this because he sent Jesus to pay for you. The forgiveness that is free for you costs Jesus his life. I mean, it's interesting. The people of Peter's day that he confronts here, they gave up the holy and righteous one just and asked to have a murderer. In a sense, God does the same thing. God gives up the holy and righteous one 
so that he can ask for you. That's, that's his love. And when you embrace this truth, when you believe that Jesus' death and resurrection were for you, you get, you, get, you get forgiven and it brings refreshment. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You experience freedom. You experience liberty. You experience forgiveness, that your sins are really washed away that God says, I know what you did and I'm not going to make you pay for it. I will treat you as though you didn't sin. And even better than that, because the blood of Jesus takes away our sins, but the perfect life of Jesus makes God treat us as though we have obeyed perfectly. That's what it means to be justified. When God justifies us, he forgives our sins and then counts us as perfect as Jesus. And that brings refreshment. It brings refreshment and also brings the spirit. Verse 20, he says, he'll send Christ to you through the spirit. Even though Christ is up in heaven, ruling, reigning, waiting till the end, when the full restoration comes, when you believe, God sends Jesus in the spirit to live in your heart, to dwell in you, and you begin to experience that final restoration even today. That's the joy of the gospel. That's what he offers to us. And that's what we have to share. That's what we have to share. That there can be freedom from sin. There can be real refreshment. True liberation from the stuff that binds us, that breaks our lives apart in a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you Thank you. The freedom of forgiveness and the price that you had to pay to make it free. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for being willing to come to offer yourself. That's more than we can take in. Lord Jesus, we want so much to honor you. We want so much to live for you. We pray that you would dwell in us and help us to experience these times of refreshing so that we would see you at work in us and we'd be able to share that work with others. Continue to open up opportunities for us so that we might be able to share this good news. Do it for us this week. And Jesus, would you touch those folks today who aren't yet trusting in you? Would you draw near to them and show them that you have paid it all and you have made a way for them to come back. Draw many to yourself, we pray in your name. Amen.